tonight in Music Detention, we will try to conclude our topic on the 27 Club. As you know, the club is comprised of famous entertainers who died at 27 years of age. In our last class, we discussed Nirvana's Kurt Cobain and touched on Pete Ham of Badfinger. We've also talked about the soulful Amy Winehouse, The Doors' Jim Morrison, and Brian Elmo Jones, the guy who founded the Rolling Stones. We were also introduced to the monkey, the spiritual being who I believe, because of my dad and a timeless metaphor, rides on the backs of its victims to the end. Tonight, we will work to close with two more people who made music history before accepting their membership cards into the 27 Club. In 1970, I watched the world as I knew it begin changing, and not for the better. President Richard Nixon, I am not a crook, <laughs> okayed the bombing of Cambodia, a kingdom to the west of Vietnam. Stop, children, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down. The idea didn't work. North Vietnam was not intimidated. If anything, what it did was level up the war. And more young men, like my Uncle Hollis, were drafted and forced to serve. You could uh, give your oxygen tanks a stir. What did you do? Nothing. I stirred the tanks. Whoa. Uh, this is Houston. Uh, say again, please. Houston, we have a problem. Ground control to Major Tom. Ground control to Major Tom. Take your protein pills and put your helmet on. Ten. Ground control Nine. to Major Tom. Eight. Seven. Houston, we have a problem. Apollo 13, the U.S. rocket carrying three astronauts, was launched for a trip to the moon. This is there was an oxygen tank explosion en route, threatening the lives of those three dudes. Long story short, the astronauts made it back to Earth. There was a movie made about the ordeal, but the mission was considered a complete failure.
and rock and roll as I knew it had died. The Beatles, my favorite black band as a little kid, well, broke up. It wasn't Yoko. What it was, was a combination of things. John Lennon wanted to better express himself. Then there was the band's larger-than-life popularity. And people simply wanted too much of and from John, Paul, George, and Ringo. Beginning with a dude named Alan Klein. Smack or heroin was killing soldiers just as fast as the artillery and gunfire from the North Vietnamese. Along with free love, smack, LSD, speed, and cocaine all ran rampant among civilians. The monkey was busy, and in the fall of 1970, two of America's brightest shining stars joined the 27 Club. Their names, Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin. And tonight, if time allows, we are going to discuss how their addictions were used to kill them. I wanna close this series tonight, but more than likely, I probably won't. There's just too much information and not enough time. Open your music history books to the year 1970 and we will begin with one of the greatest men to ever pick up a guitar. His name is James but people called him Jimmy. Jimi Hendrix. Tonight, in Music Detention, we will discuss and maybe debate the lives of two members of the 27 Club who tragically died just weeks apart to what I would consider to be violent crimes. Both Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin were actually murdered. Mr. Jimi died first, so we will begin with him. You're listening to Music Detention and I am DJ AAA. One of these days. 
one morning in September, Jimi Hendrix and his girlfriend, a woman named Monica Daneman, came back to their San Marklin hotel room and, well, actually, that's all we know. Why? Because Miss Monica was incapable of telling the same story twice. And it remained that way until the day that she mysteriously died. So, what happened? How did the monkey do it? In short, the monkey had to get clever. So, it incorporated help. Jimi Hendrix was a known drug user, but heroin was not the one. So, the monkey had to get creative. It formulated a scheme using the director of the FBI and a nervous U.S. president, the CIA, the mafia, and the civil rights movement, the Black Panthers, and a guy with affiliations to both sides who was willing to do something despicable for a stack of cash. Now, before we get into this, Jimi Hendrix did a lot of suffering before he joined the U.S. Army. His life began after he was discharged, but his life really didn't get good until Mr. Jimmy took himself to a place where he could be better appreciated. Now, I left a lot of holes in this just now. If you want to fill them, look him up. This is my disclaimer. There are better biographies out there than the one that I'm about to give you. Now, let's do this. James Marshall Hendrix only wanted one thing as a child, and that was a guitar. He finally got one when he was 15 years old. What Mr. James wanted most in life was to be a great guitar player and entertainer. This is the basic makeup of Jimi Hendrix, his real addiction, the guitar. So you might be asking, where does the monkey and all of that other stuff come in. Well, it gets kind of complicated keeping this story in check. Why? Because Mr. Jimmy has an FBI report with lots of black lines running all through it to hide, to hide what we really want to know. And that's pretty heavy stuff for a dude that only wants to play his guitar. Foxy, yeah, and you know. 
Foxy Lady. One thing that I should add. This show is still for your entertainment. But hey, hey, hey. If you listen, you just might learn something. Here I come, baby. I'm coming to get you. When Chaz Chandler, bassist for The Animals, took Jimi Hendrix from the Café Wa in Greenwich Village, New York, and arrived in England, he really only wanted to introduce Mr. Jimmy to a place where he could be creative and appreciated. And he did that. But what Mr. Chaz also did, without realizing it, was starting the Monkey's Master Plan. I'm a voodoo child. Lord, I'm a voodoo child. Jimi Hendrix was not only given the lead way to stardom and fame, the famous guitar player was also given an unlimited supply of women and LSD, a platform for his opinions, and a manager named Michael Jeffrey. What Mr. Chaz didn't realize was that he put the ball in play to transform a rock star into a guy believed by the U.S. government to be a domestic terrorist that needed to be stopped and also a greedy entertainment manager into a killer. I think I'm getting redundant. Let's try to move on. It is 1970. Jimi Hendrix is the world's greatest guitarist and one of the highest paid entertainers on the planet. He had it all. Three record albums loaded with hit songs. A killer band that was recognized everywhere. Friends and fans who worshipped and adored him. And two beautiful women who loved him. Their names, Devin Wilson, and Monica Daneman. Now let's stop here. So who's Devin Wilson and who is Monica Daneman? Well, Devin was actually a prostitute from New York. She moved to London to widen her horizons. Miss Devin had resources and when she and Jimmy became friends, she became his go-to girl for everything he wanted. Drugs, 
girls, and sometimes just simple companionship. Devin Wilson, as I see her, was Jimi Hendrix's most intimate friend. Miss Devin was closer to Jimi than anybody. She knew all of his secrets and then some. Monica Danneman was both a painter and a young German figure skater who represented her country in 1965. Miss Monica was taken to a concert featuring Jimi Hendrix in 1969. She met Mr. Jimi and fell in love with him. Lastly, Miss Monica claimed to be with Jimi Hendrix when he died. It was said that the night of Jimi Hendrix's death, he had been with both Miss Devin and Miss Monica, but not in the manner that I just led you to believe. Then again. So back to 1970. With all of Mr. Jimmy's ups, Jimi Hendrix had some downs. Actually, Mr. Jimmy had lots of downs. The members of the Jimi Hendrix Experience, bassist Noel Redding and drummer Mitch Mitchell, were tired of fooling with Mr. Jimmy. Jimi Hendrix had become both unpredictable and unreliable, mostly due to his overwhelming drug use. You see, Jimi Hendrix relied on psychedelic drugs like LSD to aid him in his creativity. The fact is, Jimi Hendrix went from preferring to be high all the time to needing to be high all the time. He needed that trip just to function. And both Mr. Knoll and Mr. Rich just didn't want to do it anymore. So after their final album, Electric Ladyland, both of them took their money and they walked out, leaving Mr. Jimmy to figure things out. Jimi Hendrix was scheduled to be the closing featured act at Woodstock, maybe the world's most famous outdoor event. And he also had an appearance at the Isle of Wight Festival. Dude needed a band, so he enlisted Billy Cox on bass and the rocking blues drummer, Mr. Buddy Miles. They formed a band of gypsies. Jimi Hendrix also had debts to pay. His money issues began before his meeting with Michael Jeffrey. They started with a contract to free himself while still in the U.S. from a guy named Ed Chopin. And Mr. Ed wanted his money. <laughs> and Mr. Ed. And Mr. Ed. Oh my God. 
Jimi Hendrix owes Ed Chopin money. And although he was making money, about $50,000 per show, Mr. Jimmy was only getting paid about 10% of his earnings. Michael Jeffrey was taking 60% of Mr. Jimmy's wages and 30% was being held in Yamada, an offshore trust account. Now, as I understand it, this is only money paid to Mr. Jimmy for his live gigs. So what's up with his royalties? Don't waste all the film there. Stop it for a second. Because I was scared as the death. So then, can I just do it one more time, though? Can I just do it one more time? I did some searching, but it still isn't clear to me. All I know for sure is Jimi Hendrix isn't getting paid for his royalties either. Chaz Chandler, bassist for the animals and the dude who brought Jimi Hendrix from the Cafe Y in Greenwich Village to England? Well, he and Jimi Hendrix also had a deal. This gets pretty hairy, but ultimately, Mr. Chaz gets tired of Jimi Hendrix also, so he sells his earning rights to Michael Jeffrey. Mr. Michael now has a huge investment in Jimi Hendrix, and the investment has gone bad. Okay, why is that? Well, because Noel Redding and Mitch Mitchell, the members who made the experience, walked away. So Jimi Hendrix decided to take his music in a new direction, a direction that wasn't paying any dividends. Mr. Jimi and Michael Jeffrey clashed all the time over this because Mr. Michael wasn't getting paid and he was in too deep to chuck his losses. So Michael Jeffrey created a two-part, no, no, okay. He created an either-or plan. How about that? He created an either-or plan. He either gets Mr. Jimmy back on track and starts creating profits, or he begins working to sabotage Jimi Hendrix to force him to change and go back to his old ways. So let's see how this goes. Jimi Hendrix's biggest problem, as he saw it, was his manager, Michael Jeffrey. Mr. Michael was actually a crook and Mr. Jimmy knew that Mr. Michael was stealing from him. Problem was he couldn't do anything about it. So what did Mr. Jimmy choose to do instead? Well, he partied, enjoyed lots of women 
<laughs> and stay too stoned to care. She's thirsty, get her some acid. <laughs> so she won't have to drink anymore in her life. She never will be thirsty after that. Get her a pint of liquid. Now, this infuriated Michael Jeffrey. And again, there are great books, blogs, and video biographies out there. If you want to know more, just look this stuff up. Okay, now I believe that I've explained all of the main players. Hopefully, you're still with me but I need to offer a few more facts. Jimi Hendrix was a supporter of the civil rights movement and he joined the Black Panthers. You will not be able to stay home, brother. You will not be able to plug in, turn on, and cop out. You will not be able to lose yourself on Skag and skip out for beer during commercials because the revolution will not be televised. In an interview, after a show in California, Jimi Hendrix made a statement that raised the eyebrows of President Richard Nixon. And also, the first director of the FBI J. Edgar Hoover. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by the shape of a war theater and will not star Natalie Woods and Steve McQueen or Bullwinkle and Julia. The revolution Jimi Hendrix was only a supporter. Still, his statement of black Americans storming Washington, D.C. was the wrong thing to say. His statement was probably taken out of context. Still, the government feared an uprising. Jimi Hendrix was now considered a threat to national security. He was now viewed as a domestic terrorist, just like Malcolm X, and was placed on the government's hit list. Jimi Hendrix got word of this and quickly moved himself back to London. The revolution will not be right back after a message about a white tornado, white lightning, or white people. You will not have to worry about a dove in your bedroom, the tiger in your tank, or the giant in your toilet bowl. The revolution will not go better with coke. The revolution will not fight germs that may cause bad breath. The revolution will put you in the driver's seat. The revolution will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised. The revolution will be no rerun, brothers. The revolution will be live. Now, I need to introduce two national secrets to you. The first is Operation MH Chaos. This is the code name for the Central Intelligence Agency or the CIA's domestic espionage project targeting American citizens operating from 1967 to 1974. It was established by President Lyndon B. Johnson and expanded under President Richard Nixon. The mission was to uncover possible foreign influence on domestic race, anti-war, and other protest movements and remove them. The other was Operation Underworld. Operation Underworld was the United States government's code name for the cooperation of Italian and Jewish organized crime figures from 1942 to 1945 to counter access spies and saboteurs along the U.S. northern seaboard ports to avoid wartime labor union strikes and limit theft by black marketers of vital war supplies and equipment. Now, it is rumored that the sinking of the captured SS Normandy in February 1942 was actually a mafia hit. The French ocean liner was being refitted as a troop ship in the New York Harbor. It was allegedly sabotaged and sunk by arson in the port of New York. Mafia boss 
Albert Anastasia claimed to be responsible for the sabotage. Now, here's the thing. One of the closest people in Jimi Hendrix's inner circle had ties to the British government, the FBI, and the mafia. One more thing. This isn't Jimi Hendrix. It's actually Ernie Isley of the Isley Brothers. And in my opinion, this is the closest player to Jimi Hendrix because he was taught by Jimi Hendrix when Mr. Jimi was a member of the Isley Brothers backing band as their lead guitar player in the early 1960s. Mr. Ernie took over at a very young age after Mr. Jimmy left the group. Mr. Jimmy also performed with Curtis Knight and the Squires and Little Richard until 1965. that time, these performers played what was called the Chitlin Circuit. This was a listing of venues throughout the South and Southeast that would welcome black entertainers up until the middle 1960s. Many of these venues were located in Tennessee and Mississippi. So I'm betting that because Jimi Hendrix was an up and coming guitar player and singer that he made a stop to that famous intersection near Clarksdale, Mississippi, and made his deal with the devil. You may be saying, why would you say that? Well, here's my simple answer. Jimi Hendrix began predicting his death and warning others of it. He told several people that he wouldn't live to see age 28. Why? because the monkey told him that he wouldn't. Okay, with all of this said, I want to try to explain Jimi Hendrix's death with all of the information that I have compiled. wasn't a heroin user. His preference was LSD, which he shot directly into his temple. Mr. Jimmy covered the needle marks with his hair, his hat, and headbands. He was also an occasional user of a new substance called cocaine. These were all supplied to him by Miss Devin Wilson, and for the record, girlfriend Monica Daneman was also a user. So, here goes my interpretation of Jimi Hendrix's death. Jimi Hendrix returned to his hotel room with Devin Wilson and Monica Daneman after a night with friends. Mr. Jimi was tripping on acid after taking his last shot to his temple and chasing it with Vesperex. These are sleeping pills and drinking white wine to enhance his experience. He couldn't walk without help, so Miss Devin holds Mr. Jimmy steady while Monica Daneman opens the door to his hotel room. Jimmy Hendrix staggers inside. The monkey was sitting on the foot of his bed staring at him. Mr. Jimmy smiles and he staggers in. Miss Monica takes two more Vesperix to ensure her sleep as well. I guess it's you and I tonight, huh, monkey? Mr. Jimmy says and drops onto the bed. There's no monkey, Jimmy. You're just drunk. Go to sleep, Monica Daneman says as she removes her clothes and gets into bed. 
on Devin Wilson's way out of the hotel, she locks eyes with Michael Jeffrey as he and two men rush past her on their way to the elevator. She could feel that something was wrong. The monkey waited until the Vesperics took a hold on Monica Daneman before speaking. Jimmy, Jimmy, it's time. Jimmy Hendrix opened his eyes and the monkey looks over to the corner of the room. And Mephistopheles, the crossroads demon, steps out of the darkness. Her look was updated. She now wore low-cut black hip-hugging bell-bottoms and a halter top, platform sandals, and her hair was in a curly afro. Hello, James. Her voice was calm and happy. The demon's fangs and jagged teeth were visible in her smile. Mr. Jimmy focused his eyes and then laughed when he recognized her. He looked over at the monkey. Why didn't you say we had company? I would have dressed up. The fact that you're neither surprised or afraid, the demon said stepping closer, tells me that you were expecting me. Mr. Jimmy looks at the demon. I don't have any grapes to choke on, so how do you plan on doing it? The demon snaps its finger. Sugar, you dead already. It's just that your body just don't know that yet. Mephistopheles said in her traditional voice. Now come on, baby. It's time to go. Mr. Jimmy's spirit gets up and steps out of his body. He turns around and the three of them look at his sleeping shell. I don't feel dead. Mr. Jimmy said as he examined himself. Oh, you're not dead yet, the demon said, but you're about to be. At that moment, the hotel room door opens and Michael Jeffrey enters the room with two unknown men. Michael, what's going on? Those men are here to end your life, the demon stated with no emotion. They cannot hear you. Monica Daneman wakes up but could not focus due to the heavy sedation from her sleeping aids. What's going on? Miss Monica mumbles. Get her out of the way, Michael Jeffrey orders. Are you certain of this? One of the men asks. Yes, Michael answers. He won't be a problem. He's too far gone. Now let's get this over with. Hold him down. Jimmy Spirit, the crossroads demon, and the monkey watch as one of the men removed Miss Monica from the bed and held her so she could watch as the other man held the body of Jimi Hendrix in place while Michael Jeffrey, Mr. Jimmy's manager, pulled a large bottle of red wine from a brown paper bag, opened the cap, opened Jimmy's mouth, and after adding some pills, the manager proceeded to pour filling Jimi Hendrix's mouth, stomach, and lungs. Hey! Jimmy yelled, hoping to stop what he was seeing. No! Miss Monica cried as she watched. Her mouth was covered to contain her screams. It took a moment before Jimmy's body reacted and tried to defend itself. He convulsed and heaved to cough up the wine to clear his windpipe and lungs. Still, his eyes never opened. Jimmy's spirit watched helplessly. It sobered him. There's nothing left for you here. The demon tried to sound sincere. I have fulfilled everything that you asked for. You got what you wanted, and then some. I'm sorry, mate. You didn't listen, so it had to be this way. The manager said as he placed the empty bottle on the floor next to the nightstand. The men watched as Jimi Hendrix coughed and vomited until his body calmed. But Mr. Jimmy remained unconscious throughout the whole ordeal. Da
Michael Jeffrey turns and looks harshly at Monica Daneman. His eyes struck a fear in her that would never leave. You were not here. You did not see anything. Soon after a long fought civil war. Just after I wiped away his last year. He's better off than he was before A whole lot better off than the fools he left here I used to cry for Tracy cause he was my only friend Kinda cars don't pass you every day I used to cry for Tracy Cause I want to see him again But sometimes, sometimes Life ain't always the way Sometimes it snows in April Sometimes I feel so bad So bad Sometimes I wish That life was never ending And all good things they say The killer's voice was stern and matter-of-fact. The man released Monica Daneman and she stood frozen. Michael Jeffrey stepped into Miss Monica's trembling face. Don't make me regret allowing you to live. If I were you, I would run and keep running. Monica Daneman gave a nod and took one last look at Jimi Hendrix. Her jacket and clothing were in a chair. She picked up her things and left without another word. So, here are the facts that I found. Monica Daneman was not with Jimi Hendrix when the paramedics arrived. She removed all evidence of her presence and made the call after she left. Jimi Hendrix was found fully clothed, but alone covered in his own vomit. Miss Monica's statements were never consistent. What she witnessed, she took to the grave with her. When Jimi Hendrix arrived at the hospital, he was rolled onto his side and a large quantity of red wine spewed from his mouth. Mr. Jimmy had no pulse, and it was said that he had been dead at least six hours. Jimi Hendrix's cause of death, as written on the medical report, was barbiturate-related asphyxia. Basically, Mr. Jimmy's body was robbed of air. The date was September 18, 1970, and Jimi Hendrix was 27 years old. Sometimes it snows in April Sometimes I feel so bad So bad Sometimes I wish That life was never ending But all good things they say Never last And all good things they say Never last Love, it isn't love Until it's 
You're listening to Music Detention, and I am DJ AAA. After all the jets are in the boxes And the clowns have all gone to bed You can hear happiness staggering on down the street Footprints dressed in red Jimi Hendrix was the recipient of several music awards during his lifetime. In 1967, readers of Melody Maker voted him the pop musician of the year. In 1968, Billboard named Jimi Hendrix the artist of the year, and Rolling Stone declared him the performer of the year. Disc and Music Echo honored Jimi Hendrix as the world top musician of 1969. And in 1970, guitar player named Jimi Hendrix, the rock guitarist of the year. The Jimi Hendrix Experience was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1992 and the UK Music Hall of Fame in 2005. Rolling Stone ranked the band's three studio albums, Are You Experienced, Axis, Bold as Love and Electric Ladyland among the 500 greatest albums of all time. And they rank Jimi Hendrix as the greatest guitarist and sixth greatest artist of all time. You're listening to Music Detention and I am DJ AAA. The tiny island sags downstream cause the life that lives is dead and the wind screams Mary was a tough year for many of us. I will admit it, I was crushed because my Beatles were no more. When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me, speaking words of wisdom, let it be. And in my hour of darkness, she is standing Right in front of me Speaking words of wisdom Let it be 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 Whisper words of wisdom Let it be There are alleged claims that Jimi Hendrix was murdered but it wasn't for political reasons or for money. There must be some kind of way out of here, said a joker to the thief. There's too much confusion. I can't get no relief Businessman there to drink my wine Come and dig my earth None will I don't know where they got that. According to James Tappy Wright, 
a former roadie for Jimi Hendrix, in his book, Mr. Tappy alleged that Jimi Hendrix was murdered by his manager, Michael Jeffrey, and it was Mr. Michael who confessed this to him. During the last few months of Jimi Hendrix's life, Mr. Jimi suffered from exhaustion, disillusionment with the music business, and in particular, dissatisfaction with his manager, and he was considering to find a new one. According to Mr. Tappy, Michael Jeffrey feared of being replaced by a new manager, so Mr. Michael decided that he would cash in on a $2 million life insurance policy that he was the beneficiary of. Mr. Tappy wrote that Michael Jeffrey confessed at Jimi Hendrix's burial by saying, I had to do it, Tappy. I had to. You understand, don't you? You understand why I did it? What are you talking about? Mr. Tappy asked. You know damn well what I'm talking about, Mr. Michael replied. We went around to his hotel room, got a handful of pills, and stuffed them into his mouth, then poured a few bottles of red wine down his throat. One last thing. Devin Wilson, Jimi Hendrix's most intimate companion, fell from a balcony eight stories to her death at the Chelsea Hotel. It was February 1971. Frank Michael Jeffrey was killed in a plane crash in March 1973. What's interesting is the dude was afraid of flying. What was he doing in the air? And Monica Daneman, Jimi Hendrix's girlfriend, was found dead in her car. They claimed that it was a suicide by carbon monoxide poisoning. She was 50 years old and she lived in Seaford, South Suffolk. It was April 5th, 1996. Now, I want to close with this. The monkey could not do this much work alone. It needed help. The Mississippi Crossroads demon, Mephistopheles, represents every time. The mafia cleans up after itself and everybody dies. Monica Daneman never stopped running. She made the call, hoping to save Jimi Hendrix, but it was way too late. I believe that she ran as far as she could first, maybe to Germany, before she made that call. And I may be the only person who believes that Monica Daneman's death was actually a mob hit. Music Detention is produced by Smiley Enterprises Incorporated. Re-recordings for personal use are prohibited. I'm just an old guy with a microphone who listened to a lot of radio as a kid and played in a zillion cover bands during a 30-year span. I talk about my experiences and what I remember, but don't take my words as the law. Question what you hear. Look things up and correct me when I'm wrong. Maybe the way I remember it isn't exactly how it was.
for show transcripts and other useful information, go to the Music Detention website. We spell music with a Z and a K. There is also a Facebook page and it would be great if you logged in and started a conversation. You can also ask for the names of the songs that I spun for the class. I don't mind sharing. So we'll Lastly, many of these episodes are placed on demand. Actually, I have an announcement to make. Music Detention is now available on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. Both apps are free. Just search Music Detention and you can listen whenever you like. You can still visit this station's app or website for a listing of what's available. Thanks for listening and for putting up with me. Have an amazing week. You can do it. You're listening to Music Detention and I am DJ AAA.